Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. I want to just kind of introduce uh, this new series. We're starting a new series today called The Kingdom. And uh, this particular message might be the most important message I've ever preached. And I've been preaching since 2003, almost 20 years. I remember being a 19-year-old kid preaching in a tiny little church in Falfurius, Texas with 10 people in it. And sweating like crazy uh, because we, you know, we wore three-piece suits to church. <laughs> and uh, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And I just remember just being in love with the Lord and just could not wait to preach. I had no idea what I was doing, um, but God used me, and he's been using me ever since. So I need your undivided attention. And I need you to extend me some grace today, okay? Because I'm going to say some things that will probably be very offensive to many, even though that's not my intention whatsoever. I've never been the type of person to walk up to someone and intentionally offend them or to say something that is off-putting. That's just not my character. That's not who I am. So please do me a favor and listen to all that I have to say. Amen. Listen to all of it. Don't listen to the parts that seem to rub you the wrong way. And do me a favor, and before you make any judgments about what I'm saying, whether you agree with me or not, listen all the way to the end. We're going to start this series. I planned this series a couple months ago. I had no idea what would be going on in our world today and what's taking place today, but we are here. And in this moment, things have to be clarified and addressed. The basic premise of this series is we're going to discover what the kingdom of God is and why we should be aware of it and aware of our place in it. The kingdom of God is one of the most important aspects of Jesus's ministry. And if you'll stick with me for the next five weeks, I challenge you to stick with me for the next five weeks. I know this weekend's a holiday. Happy 4th of July, by the way, everyone. Happy 4th of July. I know this weekend's a holiday and we were going to have some people out. So I want to challenge you to share this, post it, repost it. Um, But if you stick with me for the next five weeks, I am certain that you will understand what the kingdom of God is and your place in the kingdom of God. Amen. The kingdom of God is something that Jesus spoke about over and over and over. He was very clear about. It's the reason he came to establish his kingdom and it goes deeper and deeper. So I'm going to do now is I'm going to read a scripture and then we're going to pray. Okay. In John 17, 13, 
through 19, it says this. It says, now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give my, myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your presence. We're so thankful for your goodness. We're so thankful that song we were singing, that no matter what, you are good in our lives. We're so thankful that you've chosen to be constantly faithful to us despite our unfaithfulness. Lord, I ask you this morning that as we learn, as we read, as we study, that we grow, that we are challenged, that we are changed, that we are transformed, not because of anything I say, but because of what your word says in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So the scripture we just read was Jesus talking to his father. It was Jesus praying to the father, right? And he said all of this stuff. He said, man, we are not of this world. You are not of this world. I do not belong to this world. You do not belong to this world. He's asking God to make us holy. He's asking God to send us into the world like he was sent into the world. He's asking all these things. So there's eight things that, that he said in this scripture. You ready? Here it is. It's going to be on the screen. Number one, Jesus gave us his joy. That's good news. Now, understand joy is different from happiness. Okay? Happiness is an emotion. Happiness is feeling. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? Joy is something you only get from Jesus. I can be in the middle of my worst circumstance and still be joyful in the Lord because I have the Lord. Number two, Jesus gave us God's Word. That's a big deal. He gave us God's Word. Number three, we do not belong to the world. If you are saved, if you know Jesus, if you call him your Lord and Savior, you do not belong to this world. Number four, we will not be taken out of the world. That's an interesting one. That's an interesting one. There's always interesting teachings around rapture and all this good stuff. But he said clearly, we will not be taken out of the world. Number five, we will be protected from the evil one. Can I get an amen on that one? Jesus said we will be protected. Number six, we are hated by the world. We are hated because they hated him. They will hate us. Number seven, we are sent into the world to share the truth. That is our job. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? Share the truth with the world. What, am, what is my purpose? Share the truth with the world. However creatively God does that through you, that's what he's going to do. What's your calling? Share the truth with the world. It's really not hard. Simple. Number eight, we are made holy by the truth. That's how we're made holy. You are not made holy by your own understanding of the truth. You are not made holy by your own truth. You are not made holy by what you think you should be made holy by or your actions or your goodwill or your deeds. You are made holy by the truth. The only truth. 
Amen. So this series is about a king and his kingdom. I told Josh, I said, make me a graphic that looks like the Knights Templar. <laughs> he did a good job. And it was funny because I said, I want, I want it to be like, like that movie, The Kingdom. Because <laughs> there was this movie I love. It was a war movie. and I, I've watched it like a billion times. And it was with Orlando Bloom and all this stuff. And he texted me back. He called me. And he's like, hey, um, do you mean The Kingdom or The Kingdom of Heaven? Which movie are you talking about? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The kingdom of heaven. He goes, yeah, because the kingdom's with Jamie Foxx, bro. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's the wrong one. We're not doing the Jamie Foxx movie. The kingdom of heaven. It's such an interesting movie. If you've never watched it, go watch it. There was this one line that I'll never forget. He said, it's a kingdom of conscience or nothing at all. It's about always doing the right thing. And so this message, this series, is about a king and his kingdom. That's what the Bible's about. A king and his kingdom. So if this is true, if the scripture is true, if Jesus and what he said is true, if it's about a king and his kingdom, then we cannot say we are a part of his kingdom while we break the king's laws. We cannot say that we belong to the kingdom of God. And actually do the opposite of what the king asks of us. In Matthew 6, 25, it says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them and you not one of you more valuable than they. And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to the span of your life? And why are you anxious? about clothing consider the lilies of the field how they grow they need to toil nor spin yet I tell you even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these but if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven will he not much more clothe you O you of little faith therefore do not be anxious saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all he knows what you need everybody amen and verse 33 the most famous scripture we all love to quote but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself sufficient for the day of its own trouble it's so interesting to me that the, this scripture that is used over and over and over, seek first kingdom of heaven, seek first kingdom of heaven, is surrounded by this idea of being anxious. Because to be honest with you, when you don't walk according to the kingdom, the result is anxiety. The result is pressure. The result is emotional distress. Because you think you have to live up to something that you created in your own mind. And he said you were never meant to handle that. You're never meant to bother about tomorrow. You were never meant to worry about the provision for your life. He is the provider for your life. You don't need to worry. You need to trust. But it's hard when you don't walk in the kingdom. Because when you walk in this natural state so long, 
and you get used to the environment you live in, you start to think and respond according to the environment. But when you learn who you are, when you learn who the king is, when you learn what the kingdom is and you walk according to the kingdom and you follow the kingdom's laws, you will understand that even when trouble comes, you can have your joy. You can have your peace. You can have the truth because stand on God's word and God's alone. So I want to give you a definition of what it means to seek first the kingdom. Are you ready? It says, allowing the dominion of God to reign over every part of your life. Now, soak that in for a second. If we really want to seek first the kingdom of God, what we're saying is we are going to allow the dominion of the Lord to reign as a king over every part of our life. That means that nothing is off limits. Especially what we think. Because what you think affects every part of your life. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Everything that you think is who you are. What crosses your mind, what you entertain in your mind. So if we're really going to serve a king in his kingdom, we have to understand that he has to be Lord over all of it, not just Sunday morning. He has to be Lord over every part of your life. You have to be willing to surrender every part of your life. When you serve a king, you do not belong to yourself any longer. You are at the king's request. I saw this quote. They're going to throw it up on the screen. I thought it was great. It's by a man named Shane Pruitt. It says, what is the goal of the gospel? What is the goal? The, gospel, the goal of the gospel is not to affirm you celebrate you or even accept you that's not the goal of the gospel it's not to make you feel good about yourself the goal of the gospel is to rescue you it's to transform you and it's to redirect you that's the goal if you go to the scriptures to motivate yourself you're going for the wrong reasons you have to go to the scriptures and say lord what do I need to change today? What do I need to redirect today? What part of my life still needs rescuing? What part of my life still needs transformation? Here's something interesting. Moses said this. He said, who is on the Lord's side? When the rebellion took place amongst the people, he said, who is on the Lord's side? Elijah said this. He said, choose this day who you will Serve The Apostle Paul said this, come out from among them and be separate. And then Jesus famously said, if you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. A king demands allegiance. I got one amen this morning. <laughs> Praise the Lord. A king demands allegiance. You cannot say you serve the king and do your own thing. When you serve the king, you do his will. What is the mark 
of a Christ follower to celebrate what God celebrates and hate what God hates. Leave that up there for a second. What's the mark of a Christ follower? To do what you like? To do what other people like? To agree with what people, you know, think is socially acceptable? Or a Christ follower will celebrate what God celebrate and hate what God hates. In order to truly be stamped as allegiance to the king, you've got to celebrate what he celebrates and you've got to hate what he hates. And this is where America is in trouble. This is where the church is in trouble. Because in other words, everything we just read up to this point is telling us we have to choose a side. We don't belong to this world according to scripture. We belong to a kingdom. We don't belong to ourselves according to scripture. We belong to the king. And if that's the case, then we've got to choose who we will serve. And if we choose to serve the king, he has to be Lord over every area of our lives. We don't get to choose what parts of our lives we allow him in. No, no, no. He's your king. We just sang, and that was not even planned, that the king of my heart be the ransom for my life. We just sang it. It's a great song. But is, is he the king of your heart? Or does it just sound good on a Sunday morning coming out of your mouth? Is he the king of your heart? Is he the king of your life? Is he the Lord over every part of your life? Your past, your present, your future, your kids, your finances, your job, your home? Is he Lord over all? Does it belong to him or does it belong to you because you worked hard? In Proverbs 6, 16, it says this. There are six things that the Lord hates and seven that are abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And, and one who sows discord among brothers. You want to know what God hates? That's what God hates. Says it very clearly. Seven things that God hates. Last week, I opened up the service praising God about the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And I heard crickets. About as much silence as I hear right now. You know why? I can only imagine why is because one, either you disagree with the decision. Two, you were concerned that, oh, maybe someone else might disagree, so I don't want to offend them. Or three, you've been so programmed by the world that you have forgotten to celebrate what God celebrates. And you were looking for approval for, from someone else. Because truthfully, there should have been a roar that went through this place.
You want to know some appalling information? 37% of pastors in America, pastors, people like me, 37% have an actual biblical worldview. That's the state of the American church right now. 37, get that number in your head. The leader, 37% actually has a biblical worldview. You want to know the other 63% have? They have this idea of syncretism. Syncretism, which is the blending of the faith and worldliness and social acceptability. This is the, the new term called being woke. That's what that is. And 63% of the pastors in America, that's what they're preaching. This is actual fact, not an opinion. You can go look it up on Barna.org. This is actual fact. We have a problem in the American church. And because we have a problem in the American church, we have forgotten how to celebrate what God celebrates and hate what God hates. So, while the church was arguing about what was permissible to wear on Sunday morning, whether or not you should have a tattoo or a piercing, what we're going to eat after church, or, you know, this person shouldn't be singing this song at church. And while we were arguing about all this stuff about church, 63 million babies were dying. For the past 50 years. That is a epidemic way beyond anything we've ever seen. That our country allowed. Innocent blood has been shed. And if you recall the list we just read, it's one of the things God hates. Me and Cheryl have four kids. We have Malachi, who's about to turn 11. Joel, who just turned 8. And we got two babies waiting on us in heaven. Miscarriages suck. And I pray you don't have to go through that. It brings me joy to see babies in this place. It brings me joy to see young couples having babies. Because that is God's blessing and favor, not an inconvenience. In Jeremiah 1.5, the famous scripture that everyone uses, but I don't even think most Christians understand it. Jeremiah 1.5 says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And I had to go do some digging because I said, man, there's got to be more to the scripture than just a fun quote that we do whenever we're arguing with people about abortion. Oh, man. This word before, the first word in the scripture. You know what it means? It means suspended in time. Before God formed you, he suspended you in time. 
This is your spirit, okay? Not your physical being. You've got to understand, when he says, we do not belong to this world, he's not talking about your body. Your spirit does not belong to this world. Your body is going to die and go back to the earth. Your spirit does not belong to this world. He breathed life into you. He breathed a spirit into you. And before he formed that physical body, your spirit was suspended in time. Before I formed you, I knew you. That word formed, we are talking with Jasmine last week. She was talking about pottery, how much she loved pottery. That word formed literally means like when a potter forms something from clay. You take a lump of clay and you fashion something. And it's unique every time. You can never make the same thing twice, can you? It's always unique every single time because it's made with hands, right? God's hands formed you. So before he formed you, before he formed you like a potter, he suspended you in time. And then this word, when he says, I knew you. This word, to know, is an ancient Hebrew word that means the door of the eye. Now, that may sound all, you know, retrospect or whatever. But when I looked this up, there's actually a hieroglyph because ancient Hebrew was a little different. They used pictures, and it was a picture of an eye with a door inside the pupil of the eye. Very interesting. So I was like, what does this mean? And if you look at the deeper meaning of this, it means to see and observe each other. Before you entered the womb, before your mom and dad ever met, you were suspended in time and you saw God and he saw you. And that is what it means when he says, before I formed you, I knew you. I saw you. And you saw me. You saw my face. I saw your face. This, the, the word new that we just read is pronounced yada. It reminds me of dada. We saw our father. This is why children are so happy. So full of joy. They just fresh off seeing the face of God. The world is what makes them sad. The world is what gets them depressed. Children are born happy. Because they knew something just a moment ago. It's going to take a lifetime to get back to He knew you. He saw you. And you saw him. So when does life begin? Way before conception. It's not even an argument to make. Life is way before conception. You were called, anointed, appointed by name before your parents even met. And if we're going to follow the king in his ways, we have to trust his word. And that, my friends, is his word.
Your life began when you looked into the eyes of the Father. When you were suspended in time. Same goes with 63 million babies that never got to breathe, but they saw the Father. You want to know something interesting? Everybody always yells, my body, my choice. You know, the Bible actually supports one moment in time where it was my body, my choice. You want to know when that was? When Jesus chose the cross over convenience and comfort. He said, here's my body. He chose the will of his father over his own. There's my choice. He gave himself. He broke his body for you. That's the only time you'll ever find the scripture supporting my body, my choice. When Jesus gave it up. As a sacrifice for you. Not somebody giving up a child as a sacrifice for themselves. So what are we going to do about it? I don't know if you know this, but every year, and the numbers keep going up, every year we give as a nation $600 million to Planned Parenthood and other resources that help with abortions. What if we turn that around and give them to pregnancy centers and adoption agencies? Because it is astronomically expensive to adopt a child in the United States, but it is free to get an abortion. Or at least it was. Now it's up to the states. Some people will say, why don't we just boycott everyone that supports abortion? All right, let's check that out. Throw up that picture. The, this, is the, this is from the New York Times. This is a list of companies that will cover travel expenses for employees to have an abortion out of state since it was overturned they can go to California or other states that do allow it and they'll pay for those employees to go have it happen because they would rather keep an employee working instead of being on maternity leave for six months because it's about money this is from the New York Times Accenture, Adobe, Airbnb, Bank of America, Box, BuzzFeed, Civitech, Condé Nast, Dick's Sporting Goods, Disney, DoorDash, Douglas Element, Expedia, Google, H&M, Impossible Foods, Intuit, Johnson & Johnson, J.P. Morgan, Chase, Levi Strauss, Lyft, Match Group, Meta, formerly known as Facebook, Microsoft, Netflix, Nike, Nordstrom, OpenSea, Patagonia, PayPal, PricewaterhouseCoopers, Reddit, Salesforce, Starbucks, Tesla, Uber, Vox Media, Warner Brothers, Wells Fargo, Yelp, and Zillow. So tell me, how's that going to go? Let's just boycott everyone. Oh, really? How's that going to go? It is too far ingrained into the entire landscape of our society. How are you going to boycott that? Because if you're going to do that, then, you know, use cash from now on. You want to know why? Because if you've got a Visa or a MasterCard in your pocket or your purse... You should just use cash and not use them because Visa and MasterCard are the two payment processors that are still doing business with a company called Pornhub who's in extreme lawsuits right now for human trafficking and rape videos. 
So it's gotten so bad that their CEO of the company that owns Pornhub's website actually is resigning because of this. But Visa and MasterCard still do business with this company. So you tell me, how are we going to boycott? What good does it do to do that? Because really, boycotting, all it is, is, is passive-aggressive silence. It allows us to say we're doing something, but we're not actually standing up for something. See, the problem is, it is so deep-rooted in our society now, there's no escaping it. It's everywhere. The mentality in our nation has shifted. And I believe it's because 63% of the pastors in our nation has shifted. The idea to, to boycott is noble. But instead of boycotting lost people for being lost, we should boycott our own inactions and actions. See, here's the thing. We're mad about lost people acting lost. That's what they do. They don't know any better. Where we have to draw the line is within us. We've got to correct this. See, there's tension in this room right now because you're wondering, is it okay for him to be saying this? And if you're questioning that, it's because unfortunately you've been programmed by society. Hear my heart. I want you to hear my heart. If you've had an abortion, I'm not here to condemn you one bit. Not one bit. And if anybody's watching this online, I'm not at all here to condemn you. I'm here to minister to you. I'm here to serve you. And the best way that I can do that is to tell you the truth of what God says. Just know that I actually love you. I'm not here for gain. Believe me that. I'm not. I'm here because God put me here. And I have to tell you what's in his word. If you've had an abortion, it doesn't mean we don't want you here. It's actually the opposite. We want you here a lot. Because you need to be here. You need to be in the presence of God. But make no mistake. No matter how much I love you, I have to speak the truth of God's word. And no matter how much I want to be nice, I have to speak what the Bible says because the Bible literally tells me as a pastor that if I don't warn people and tell them the truth then your blood's on my hands that's what it says as a pastor I'm held to a higher standard than you that's just the way it is that's what scripture teaches you put in this position you want to preach the word of God you better be willing to handle the responsibility and the responsibility is tell the truth and nothing less. And if I don't and you are at fault because you walked the wrong path and believed a lie, God won't blame you. He'll blame me. So I have to tell you the truth. I have to speak plainly.
So, if none of what I've said yet has been a little stirring, maybe this one might be. I have watched and waited and been left wanting for the past two weeks. And almost every megachurch and celebrity pastor that I have looked up to and followed for years, I've completely lost all respect for. I just have. The silence over this issue from them has been staggering. It's been staggering. It's unbelievable to me with the platform that they have. This should be a home run, easy A, knock it out of the park celebration. Instead, we're met with more lawyer speak because we're afraid to offend people. They're being so unclear with words and when they do actually talk about it, instead of celebrating it, they actually are mourning with those who mourn. And I'm trying to figure out where the heart of God is in that. Trying to figure it out, can't find it. It's actually disgusting, but more than that, it's approaching apostasy. Now, if you don't know what that word means, this is something that scripture has taught us over and over to watch out for, to be alert on, to, to listen close to preachers who preach something a little different than the truth because they'll say words that are like, you know, close to the truth but not all the way there or they won't completely say something. They'll sort of say something. So I had to pull it up just so I can give you a better idea. So A.W. Tozer wrote this. This was describing the apostasy and its underlying danger. He wrote this. He says, so skilled is the error at imitating the truth that the two are constantly being mistaken for each other. Error and truth constantly being mistaken for each other. It takes a sharp, a sharp eye these days to know which brother is Cain and which is Abel. Oof. This is true. The Apostle Paul also speaks to the outward pleasing behavior of apostates and their teaching. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of it. Apostasy is when someone begins to reject the truth of God's word. And ultimately, the ultimate definition or the ultimate end result of apostasy is to reject Christ. Okay? So here's the problem. Here's the problem. When Christian pastors begin to accept what God hates, the next step is to hate what God accepts. And I think we're right there in that middle line right now from what I'm just gathering and seeing. They actually are accepting of what God hates. And if they fully cross over, they eventually will begin to hate what God accepts. And you got to watch out for that. 
Because the next step is to completely fall away. To completely become apostate. And you'll know it by this phrase. They'll start to say, we don't need Jesus to get to heaven. And you might think, oh, Matt, that'll never happen. My favorite preacher, I hope and pray that it never happens. Because if it happens with them, millions will follow. That's the danger. Millions follow these people. Millions all over the world. And if they begin to toe that line and they stay there too long, the devil comes as an angel of light and deceives. And they step across that line and begin to think, we don't really need Jesus to get to heaven. We're good people. That's the ultimate transition. And it starts with not being physically able to tell the truth on a topic that is clearly truth in Scripture. America is in, in a big dilemma right now, spiritually speaking. First Timothy 4.1 says this, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Man, if that doesn't get your attention... 2 Timothy 3.1 says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jabris um, opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. We have to be aware. We have to be on guard. You know, you always think, oh, yeah, people are just being critical or just criticizing. I'm not one of those people. I hate just criticizing people for no reason just because, you know, they're popular or whatever. Like, that's, that's never been me. I, in fact, I, I usually just really dislike this kind of message, to be honest with you. Cheryl knows <laughs> how much I'm just like, oh, my God, here's another pastor criticizing Joel Osteen or this person, that person. And I'm like... Just get over it. But then this happens. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That causes me to pay attention. Because when this sort of thing happens, 
you're either with the king or you're not. Jesus said, if they're not for me, they're against me. You have to choose a side. And if you don't have the stomach to choose a side, get out of the pulpit. I'm going to teach you real quick. So I'm almost done. I'm going to teach you real quick about Molech. In case you're still wondering, but why is abortion wrong? Why does God hate it? Well, abortion was very different in the Bible because they didn't have the tools we have today. You know, they didn't have all the fancy machines and the clinics. They decided to do it very, very different in the Bible. In Leviticus 18.21, it says this, You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. He had to tell Israel, listen, you're about to go into this land, and if you go into this land, be aware that they worship Molech and do not do what they do. What is Molech? Let me tell you what Molech is. The Phoenician people were a group of people that inhabited Canaan before the Israelites got there, okay? And in addition to sexual rituals that they would do to worship Molech, they included child sacrifice. This is where you get the term passing the children through the fire. Because it is believed that the idols of Molech were giant metal statues of a man with a bull's head. Okay? And each image that we have of Molech, it had a hole in his abdomen and his arms were out to receive the sacrifice. And so what they would do is they would, they would place the babies in the hole of his abdomen to be burned. And this is what they did to worship this God so that their next child will be blessed and that they would have prosperity and that they could plan their future and it would be great because they sacrificed their firstborn to Molech. In 2 Kings 23.10 it says, and he defiled Topheth which is in the valley of Son Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Molech. This is referring to Josiah, who became king at eight years old, by the way. And at eight years old, he had the spirit of the Lord and he had wisdom. He found the law of God in the temple hidden because his family before him destroyed everything. They offered Sacrifice to Molech, but being eight years old, Josiah, knowing God, said, I'm, I'm going to change this. And he began to teach the word of God. He began to read it out loud. And he was commissioned by God to crush every idol in the land, every single one. And most of the priests were the ones offering these sacrifices. You know what he did to those priests? 
killed them, burned them, and then crushed their bones on top of the idols that used to be Molech. Josiah was brutal. Sometimes God's holiness is much more brutal than you think. This practice of child sacrifice, there's actually a term for it. It's been going on for a couple thousand years in our world. It's called infanticide. It's where you kill a baby after it's born. Murder, right? We would all call that murder. But all infanticide is is post-birth abortion. That's all it is. You want to know something really crazy? In, in China, for 2,000 years, they practiced female infanticide. So they, didn't want, they didn't want girls. And Christian missionaries would arrive in China around the 16th century and write back reports about how they would just throw the babies in the river. And it didn't change until 2020. Did you know that? All over China, there are signs in Chinese that are translated into English that says one child is best. And if you didn't want a girl and you wanted a boy, you just keep throwing the girls away until you got a boy. That's what communism will get you. All of the above is murder. There's no two ways about it. There's no question. Abortion is Molech worship. Infanticide is Molech worship. And if our own pastors won't stand up, and declare the truth, then it's time to stop listening to those guys. Because they're not following God any longer. Boycotting Disney does nothing if you're still willing to listen to those kind of preachers. It does nothing. I'm going to boycott the world and follow the apostate. What does that do? It does nothing. It makes no sense. Worship team, you can come up. Gilbert's like, how am I going to sing after that? Proverbs 21.15. It says this. It says, when justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. If you see people afraid and despondent and depressed because of this decision, hello, 
maybe they are not the righteous ones after all. You see, God had to do this. He had to draw a line in the sand so that we could see clearly who's who. And it's so unfortunate what we're seeing. Maybe it doesn't matter to you like it matters to me. But I hope that it does. Because if you continue to support people who won't stay on God's side, you are complicit. I'm not surprised when lost people act lost. I'm not surprised. I won't get in an argument with someone who is clearly a fanatic about abortion is a good thing. Like, what's the point of me getting into an argument with that person? They will not listen to me. The Bible says it is foolish to argue with a fool. It just makes you more of a fool. Like, why would I do that? But to stand with my brother and sister and disagree about this, that's a whole different thing. That is a problem. I've had Christians this week call me evil. I'm like, what? Really? For, like, liking babies? I'm evil? For saying what scripture says? I literally quoted this scripture, and they said I was the evil to it. I'm like, what? I don't get it. You're supposed to be a part of this kingdom. How in the world are you willing to completely abandon its laws? You, hear, you ready for the good news? <laughs> I see a lot of faces like, mm. here's the good news. Despite the blood that has been shed, the blood of Jesus still works today. The word of God is still true today. He still heals today. He still transforms today. He still resurrects today. He still saves today. And he still offers forgiveness. Even to those who may have been on the wrong side of this. He is still there with an open hand and open arm saying, come. No condemnation if you're on this side. There's no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. Remember what we learned a few weeks back of what that word means, what condemnation means. It means there is no case against you anymore. When you accept Jesus and all that he is and the truth that he represents and you say yes to a life with the king, there is no condemnation. But if you choose to have both, uh, he said he'll spit you out of your mouth, out of his mouth. So the good news is there's forgiveness today. He still offers love. He still offers his presence. He still baptizes people in the Holy Ghost. Even better than that, God says when you receive him as your king, that nothing can separate you from his perfect love. No height, no depth, not anything in all creation can separate you from his love. 
That's the king we serve. That's the king who's calling you. That's the king who wants you today. Not the king who's just trying to kick you over your head and say, my way or else. No, no, no. It's your choice. If there ever was a choice, this is it. Who will you serve? I am so don't even know the word just impassioned is that a word? I don't know if that's a word I have no idea I'm going to just say that because it's my word now I'm impassioned because even though it seems like it's a dark day really what it is it's a wake up call It's a wake-up call and it should be a wake-up call to everyone in this church because yes that means you have to choose too if you're watching online that means you have to choose too <laughs> you're not choosing me okay you're choosing to serve the king or not and the beauty about serving the king is there's freedom in it beyond anything that you could ever know. I would much rather serve a perfect king than my own perfect opinion any day of the week. When we serve a king, our opinions don't matter. Truth is truth, and that is it. Let's stand. this week our vision is to plant churches that are life-changing if you would like to support our ministry you can easily do so by visiting our website pursuitcc.com also follow us on all social media outlets by using at pursuitcc thank you and god bless